Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. We are in studio today with Leslie Antonoff, who I have been extra girl crushing for the last few weeks, knowing that she was going to be here. And prior to us hitting record for today's episode, I only mildly, thirstily fangirled her a little bit. Audrey, you make me feel special. I'm going to make a brown girl blush. (laughs) Thanks, boo. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie, I am so pumped to have you. Please tell our audience members who you are and what you do, because I can't do it justice. Oh, thanks. Well, um, my name's Leslie Antonoff, also known to most people as the hot mommy. I am clearly a mother, because otherwise that'd be false advertising. So, (laughs) you know. Could it not be like, hey, ma? Right. It could, but that's real 2003. Um. (laughs) So, was there a job ja rule in there right. too with Ooh. the hey ma? Oh, oh poor I can't ja even rule, do the right. voice. No, and then I am also an entrepreneur. I have a company called Sweet Knowledge Clothing Company that sells t-shirts and sweatshirts for the HBCU community, and I'm also the co-host of the soon premiering Butter and Brown on the Aspire Network. I'm excited. First of all, I love that name. Thank you. Butter and Brown. Yeah. Uh and Aspire the Aspire Network, Aspire TV, is Issa Rae's network. Well, she was on the network, but it's actually owned by Magic Johnson, who's oh. you know, LA's own. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We have a connect to Cookie, and we're obsessed with her. What? Who doesn't love Miss Cookie? She is so like, she's so cute. <laughs> if I ever have a mother-in-law, could it be like her? I know. Just like spiritual and beautiful and thoughtful and just like always has inspiring things to, to post. Um, we reached out to her through a cold email mm-hmm. on her website, and we got a response. And She's I was mean. like, oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. I can't hey believe it. Right. That's exciting. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Um, so Issa Rae actually was on the network. She used to do kind of a talk show on there, and she's the reason we've been able to connect. And, you know, it, it's great. I'm excited. So it's good people. We talk about Issa Rae a lot on yes. this show. We often tell people the name of this podcast is obviously Brown Girls Rising. And we have said since the beginning that Brown Girls Rising was kind of this solution to everybody who's not fitting in with today's feminism. And Mm. we kind of, because it's HBO and it's one of my favorite channels, (laughs) I tell people that today's feminism is somewhere between Issa Rae, Black Girl Magic, and Lena Dunham's White Girl Feminism. Mm, Okay. And I go, well, what about everything in between? Mm -hmm. What about girls that are mixed, Latinas, Afro-Latinas, Southeast Asian, Filipinas, Pacific Islander, Thai, Indian, like all that stuff. How do we create a more encompassing conversation for what it means to be a woman of color today? And we don't really push to say oh this makes you brown because people have already debated enough how apparently brown or not brown i am and our (laughs) guests have been um i'm sure they have i guess i don't know and i was actually telling someone the other day the phrase women of color is a struggle for me i want it not to be but it is and i tell me more i think it is just because i feel like even if you're a woman of color there's still so much there's so many different things that happen to you like as a black woman that are not necessarily going to happen to you if you're a Latina woman yep. or if, you know, you're a woman of Asian descent and all of these things. And I think that there's still a space where even as a black woman, I'm considered a quote unquote woman of color. But there are spaces that I still can't fit into because I'm not a woman of color who's more palpable for people. You know, yes. like I'm not a Latina woman. I'm not an Asian woman and I'm not an Indian woman or, you know, all of the myriad of people that exist. And so I'm still a black girl. And 
as much as it's like, you know, black girl magic, da 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 there's still people that are like trying to throw dirt on the magic that are like, nah, girl, uh-uh. You know, you're still black. And so I find that when we say women of color, that's still very specific because that could be anybody who's just is not white, you know? And Yeah, that's pretty much how we identify. Actually, right. we tell people this. We tell people, if you identify yourself as a woman of color, mm-hmm. you're welcome on the show. Right. Right. You know, and, and we've seen, like, you know, we have the Rachel Dozals of the world, who Oh, my God. <laughs> who feel like you can be anything, you can, know? But again, right. that's kind of where, you know. I have to do this. I did this on yes. a different episode because <laughs> it had just happened. But every time Rachel comes oh. up, I was in a meeting or I was at my office having a discussion with somebody who literally tried to equate her as like what transgender people mm. were before it was accepted. And she, and I was like, you can't be transracial. No, boo. That's not a thing. Uh-uh. That's that white is, privilege. Yes. When you can decide what you want to be because something is not making you comfortable. Oh. And that's like, I can't go out here and decide today, today, I'm going to be a white woman. P.S. It was like, a black woman who told me this. Uh, and I was heart. like, yes. <laughs> And I was like, no, I was like, I feel for you trying to create some empathy for this woman in the world. Good luck to her and all. But you cannot be transracial. That is not a thing. That's not real. Bless her. She's she's got some issues. She's got some mental instability issues. And yeah, I just I'm gonna just release that and pray she gets the help she needs because, you know. You just can't go out here and decide that you want to be whatever you want to be because the world is not going to see you that way. And, right. you know, I'm all about brown women being empowered and getting into spaces where we're not often welcome. But I do think that the phrase women of color is difficult for me to swallow because I still think that, you know, that doesn't include black women. You know, if you're going to talk about black women, I just want you to say black women. Like, yes. be very specific and say, like, black women need to be in this space and da 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 Because at the end of the day, you know, we're still not readily acceptable to a lot of people that's very true so i'd love to expand on that just a little bit again the name of the show is brown girls rising and we ask all of our guests what does it mean to be a brown girl to you and is that something whether it's brown girl black girl and is that something that you have owned with pride or shame and Mm. how has that changed i mean i think in growing up i grew up in a predominantly like white area and so Mm. going to school and and being around people that did not look like me I definitely was aware of my blackness very early on. And it was like... I was going to say, do you have a specific (laughs) memory that was like, oh... Oh, I'm hmm." black. Um, Definitely. So in the fifth grade, I moved to Whittier and I lived in Whittier. And there's like not, you know, at the time there wasn't like a lot of, you know, black people in the area. And so I was probably the first black person a lot of these kids had ever seen and had ever met. And so in that moment, I mean, I remember going to school and people kind of reaching out to touch me. You know, (gasps) almost like they didn't know that I existed off of television they had never seen people who looked like me. I mean, people were like putting their hands in my hair. You know, it was like I literally felt like I'm being petted like I'm at a zoo. And I think yeah. that I was always aware that I was black. There was never any shame in it. But that moment I realized, oh, I'm supposed to be ashamed of this or I'm supposed to feel different than you. Yeah. And that was the time when I recognized like, oh, OK, let me um, figure out how to move through the world being this person. But also still being like very proud of, you know, who I am. And so I think I decided then I never wanted to be something else, to be white or anything. What's funny is if I wanted to be anything, I wanted to be Afro-Latina. I wanted to be Puerto Rican so bad because I just thought that was really cute. And I was like, I just want to be Puerto Rican and be from Brooklyn or something. You know, I wasn't. It was just a black girl from L.A. But, you know, know. (laughs) this is going to sound funny. Yeah. Speaking of assumptions that we make for people, we have an upcoming guest who's going to be on the show who's a Mexican-American, grew up in L.A., but she's got this accent that always (laughs) made me think she was, like, Puerto Rican from, like, 
somewhere in New York. She just has this heavy, raspy voice. And I was always, oh my gosh, so when did you move to LA? She's like, bitch, I've been right here. here, girl. Like, <laughs> this I felt funny. so stupid. I, I was so embarrassed. Listen, I've gotten so many different things though. Cause like when I moved and went to college back east, you know, depending on where I was, people thought that I was Abisha. They're like, Are you Ethiopian? Are you Eritrean? And then if I was ever in New York, then I was always like Spanish. I was always Puerto Rican, Dominican, just yeah. all these different things. And I'm always like, Oh man, I wish. I wish I had a flag. Just <laughs> red, white, and blue. You know, I've got nothing. Thanks. But <laughs> you know, it's it's fun. I think I'm just to me, it's just always about like bringing up other people and just making sure that people, you're proud of your blackness, like know where you come from. And I think that's hard for black people. You know, we, our roots only go so deep here. And so it's a struggle for us sometimes to connect and to understand what that means. And that's why, unfortunately, you do have people that are trying to empathize with Rachel Dolezal because it's just like, well, you know, at least she was down for the people because we don't have anybody that's down for us. And it's just like, oh, but we have to just, we can't settle. You know what I mean? So I'm just. Yeah. And the difference yeah. is, I mean, for race is a construct like yeah. you it goes so much deeper mm -hmm. you aren't just black because you decided to be black right and i think for many people today like it's it's this cultural learning it's these experiences that your family has yeah. gone through it's your roots it's it's so many other things that totally. it just still blows my mind i mean i really should get over this transracial <laughs> comment but i can't no girl I don't get over that get over it no I that's you got mm -mm. that's not something you let go you want to yeah. remind people that things are not okay and i think when we start to let things like that go that's when people get comfortable in saying stuff like that and you just have to continue to call people out in their bullshit like yo that's whack don't say that shit again yeah <laughs> like, like, nah 100 <laughs> I, I think i said something to that if well not that eloquently i think i was like that's not a real thing and no. then i think i just stood there and made and like looked at her well like if my botox could move my eyebrow would have gone yeah. up but it was more like i just gave her bug eyes because like, that's all mm. you can do when your face is half frozen you're right. just like mm. when you're appalled Kim yeah. Kardashian ugly cry. Oh, bless her heart. She does have an ugly cry. That's a pretty girl. Can I just tell you, <laughs> that's a Botox cry. Because I had a recent tearful experience, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror while I'm crying, and I go, oh my God, I'm making the Kim K ugly cry face. Botox, I'll tell you what that does. Yes. It like holds your muscles in, so all you can move are the it's wrinkles here. around the sides of your nose. So you do this. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And it's a real thing. And I was like, oh, she doesn't ugly cry because she ugly cries. It's because of her Botox. Right. And now I do that. That face. Oh, wow. How long mm. have you been getting Botox? Three years. Really? Yes. Wow. Looks good, girl. Thank Watch you. Out. I got a great girl who does it, right. and that is the key to natural, soft, not, yeah, not overly done, just a little bit. Where you, you know? always look surprised. Yeah, you don't want to look surprised. You just right. want to look like you're pleased, happy, and relaxed. <laughs> and the reason I started doing it, actually, is because we do Worthy Women events. Right. And I would sit there on these panels, and people would say things where you just go, oh, my God. Right. Why did you just say that out loud into a microphone in an audience of 100 people? Ooh, like, Lord. do you not hear yourself? And so I'd get the photos back, and I would make these, like, <laughs> faces with my nostril <laughs> up on the side and eyebrow all, like, You had to control funny. the expression before you memed yourself? You were going to be a meme? You remember when people used to say things like, oh, you were mad dogging her. Oh, that's me. Yes. All I the was, time. I was making these god awful faces to Oh, that's people, always me. And I had no recollection or realization that I was doing that. And Dang, then I started. Audrey, maybe I should get Botox. 
I don't know. Black don't crack. But, I'm like, that's true. Let's that not and, even go there. That and Sunday Riley, good jeans, moisturizer. But, you know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm half white. I get that wrinkle real well, quick. Well, girl, you keep doing that Botox. You'll hold it together. But. I believe it. I believe it. All right. So let's talk about sure. things that are held together. Okay. Brown and butter. Yep. I'm going to try to bring this back to cooking. I'm ready. Right? I'm just picturing you with a spatula, <laughs> oh, Julia Child, but not really. And so my question is, mm. I honestly can't think of the last, like the last time I turned on a cooking mm. channel or saw a cooking show and saw... A black woman. Girl. I think Julia Child. I think. Do you remember Yan Can Cook from PBS? Yes. And he would shop and he go one two three four. <laughs> Yan Can Cook one two three four. And every time he would shop, it was one two three four. Yes. Even if it was more than right. four, you like. I swear to God, when I would make stir fries, <laughs> I too said one two three four. <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, well, that's actually kind of how we thought of the show. So my co-host Chris is the best he's known by Seth Brundle in the streets so you know but if you see him and you call him Seth I know you're not his real friend so you know I just this is how I differentiate people but he and I love cooking and essentially you know I came to him and I was like yo we should do a cooking show and Issa had said to me you know like I need some more things for the network on YouTube and I was like okay what can we do that's different and so I was like oh yeah we need to cook because like you said you know you turn on the TV and Bobby Flay has 13 cooking shows and you're like Bobby Grills Bobby Cooks Bobby Brunches you know, I love you, Bobby, but damn, we get it. You could cook. So, you know, we yeah, just... Yeah, they're all white guys. Right. Every food channel, every every show, it's either an old, fat, white, or mm-hmm. Italian woman yep. and or a white guy. A white man. If yeah, I have to watch diners, drive-ins, and dives one well, more time, right. my boyfriend with, loves that show. Right. With guy using his sunglasses as a headband, I will never understand it. So, I mean, that's your thing. And basically, we just were like, yo, let's make a cooking show, but we want it to be fresh and new and not something, you know, you see all the time and... Of course, people automatically assume that we were a couple, which is not true. You oh, know. that's hilarious. Right. They were like, are you guys together? Like, no, we are not together. I don't even like his ass. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, Chris. And so that's kind of how it came along. He actually thought of that name because he loves alliterations. And so, you know. Me too. Right. Hence the W's. Right. Worthy women. We do women of worth. Worthy yeah. Wednesdays. All of our events are love on it. Wednesdays. I love it. Oh. So that's how, you know, he thought of this. We, you know, we did a lot of things that mixed around that. But what's funny is that people always assume that, you know, somebody is the butter and someone is the brown. The butter is essentially the food and the brown was the liquor because, you know, we have a drink with everything. And I used to have this phrase years ago before age got to me and I couldn't, I had to stop downing brown the way I used to. But I always used to say brown don't let you down. And so, you know, brown liquor, food. It was like the best combo, and that's how the show came about. People loved it, and we were just so, like, shocked and surprised, and people just, you know, the warm comments, and people were like, yo, this is amazing. We love to cook. And I also think that we're just living in a time right now where people want to learn how to cook food for themselves. I mean, look at Blue Apron, HelloFresh. You have all these Pinterest. Pinterest. I swear to God, I never wanted— I. I Actually, I'm not going to lie. I really don't enjoy cooking. It's I don't okay. do it because I'm one of those like OCD clean people. And yeah. the idea of dirtying my stove. Like, I feel you. We had a cleaning lady come over a couple weeks ago, yeah. which is something I couldn't even tell my mom. <laughs> because if I told my Mexican mother that I had a cleaning lady come over, Girl. she'd be like, Ika. Right. Really, really though? Really? No. I mean, and- I have a cleaning lady that comes every two weeks. Thank you, girl. Yes. Well, okay. So she came over and she asked me if I'd ever used the stove. And I said, no. She goes, well, what do you do with it? And I go, I look at it. And then here's the twisted part. I'll go to like Sur La Top and I'll buy myself Le Creuset stuff. Wait. (laughs) 
just because I like to look at it. Because it's pretty. It, it is, is pretty. pretty. And I have Fiesta dishes because I yes. like the colors, but I don't actually use them. In fact, because I do Eat Naked LA, shout out right. to Fernando for feeding me. <laughs> Everything comes in a portion controlled container and I don't Aww. actually dirty. All I do is dirty my coffee mug. Oh my goodness. Okay, Audrey, we have to make you something because we need I'm you to domestic, get in there and make some but rice. Not there. <laughs> Throw down on a little steak or something. You know, you, you can do it, girl. You can do it. Well, that's why you have to watch Better and Brown. And you're going to get encouraged to cook. And I love to drink. So therefore, I could drink with you. you Definitely are going to watch this because I love to drink too. It's fun. And I here's what I love about yes. the food thing. When I think of food, and we've heard this a few times mm-hmm. on the show here with past guests, the ties that it has to family. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, and even myself, even though I'm not the best cook, and but the times I do think of myself in the kitchen, I think of myself learning recipes from my grandma. Yeah. I think of spending time, particularly with Actually, my dad. I was going to say my mom, but my mom bakes. My dad is the cook Mm -hmm. and the grill master. But I love that. So how has food and family, what has that experience been for you? And now that you are a mom, how has that changed? How I think of food in the kitchen. I mean, the funny part is I was never that kid that stood like at the foot in the kitchen of my grandmother, my aunts and my mom. I was definitely like, yo, just call me when the food's ready because I'm hungry. So I don't really care about all that. And so funny my mom was like, you're never going to know how to cook because you never stay in the kitchen and learn. But I was like, I'll learn when I need to. And sure enough, I went to college and I got hungry and I was poor. Yes. So I was like, damn, how am I going to eat? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I started just like figuring it out and started cooking. And that's when I kind of formed a love of cooking. And it actually was like cathartic for me. So I would go in the kitchen. I would just calm down and make all this food and That became the way that, you know, I learned how to cook. And then also dining out taught me, you know, I love to eat out. And so going out to eat, of course, you know, is an experience. And it was something that I didn't do as a kid because we just didn't have money for that. And so when I got older and I was able to do it, I thought, man, but I don't just want to eat this one time. I want to recreate it and make it for myself. And so I taught myself all these various, you know, recipes and techniques and ways to cook. And, you know, now I think my kids, they're definitely just going to be the kind of girls I hope that are in the kitchen because they love it. Because they see me loving it. You know, they see me standing there and I'm just going to town and I'm making food. I mean, it gets to the point where my husband's like, don't make another thing because the refrigerator is full and we can't fit anything else in it. And you don't eat leftovers. <gasps> my boyfriend doesn't eat leftovers either. Oh it's God. so weird. And I love leftovers. Again, maybe because of like, I grew up in a, my parents weren't wealthy, right. but we weren't poor. We yeah. were comfortable and like. And also because I'm the daughter of immigrants, mm-hmm. it was always like, you just don't let things go, go to waste. waste. And even my sister, who's a very good cook, my sister is a master at taking leftovers and creating- Something else. Oh my gosh, something <laughs> incredible. Yes. Like when Sarah and I used to live together, I swear I was 20 pounds heavier. Yeah, but you because, ate it. Oh, I ate so good. My sister loves my sister loves butter and mm. bacon. And she puts that on everything. Yes. It's delicious. And heavy cream yeah. and- She's my kind of girl. She is. Listen, and I think I grew up the same way. Like, you never let anything go to waste. But because I grew up like that, now I'm like, I don't have to. Bitch, we's free now. I don't have to eat that no more. Like, I don't want yeah. to. So I'm like, oh, I ate that yesterday. Mm, I don't want to eat it again. I know my husband is, he's, he gets very upset with me. He's like, I'm like, I'm the only one who ever eats the leftovers. I'm like, bring me <laughs> no. your leftovers. Right. I'll like, eat it. I don't take doggy bags. Yeah, oh, I, I do. I yeah, know. my boyfriend doesn't do that. Nope. And so it makes a weird dichotomy in the yeah. fridge because, like, we'll go grocery shopping. <laughs> And he's like, I'll give you an example. We bought a rotisserie chicken. Yes. This fool had a piece of chicken when it was fresh. And then he put the whole chicken in the fridge. And the next day I'm like, oh, we could do this with the chicken. We could do that. And he's like, I'm not touching that. Right. It's Why all would congealed. I eat that? And I don't <laughs> That's good juice now. Look, don't waste good chicken yeah. juice. 
<laughs> right? And I yeah. was like, oh, this chicken's going to last me all week. See, now there are some things that you can definitely reheat and make new again. I will agree with that. But like if I have, you know, like catfish or something, I can't reheat catfish. Oh, and I'm that extra annoying person that's always heating up fish in oh, the office at work see, in the microwave. Mm, Audrey, don't do that. I cover it with lemon. <laughs> Lemon and a little spray. You're like, oh, what is no, that? no, no. I squeeze lemon over it, <laughs> right? And then you know, I use vinegar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that is a lot of fish and vinegar. Well, when you clean the microwave, well, I yes. do half distilled water, half vinegar, which cuts the smell, mm-hmm. and it's a very lovely natural way to clean your microwave because you're heating up chemicals in there. Right. Like you might, you don't put a cover on top of what the food. Oh yeah, I do, but oh, okay. still, it just it the smell. Well, yes, it reeks. I after get a away while. from that. I know, especially That's with true. salmon. Good yeah. salmon will do you, will do you right. It will. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's interesting about the recipes yeah. and the food? I think as an adult, the only time I really got very aware of like food and family and cultural ties, two things, making my dad's Thanksgiving stuffing called the okay. Bellis, my dad's Italian. Mm-hmm. It's the Bellis spicy Italian mm. sausage stuffing. It's all sausage. Yes. It's Meat. so good. <laughs> And learning to make that. So this last year I made that Ooh. for the first time with my dad. And I you. learned the family recipe for it. Hold on to it. It's Yeah, it was very dear. <laughs> and it was at the same time one of my aunts had been diagnosed mm. with stage four cancer. Mm. And my aunt makes these amazing recipes. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if my aunt passes away or, like, Where now that my go? grandma's 88 mm-hmm. and my grandma doesn't measure things. She puts them in her hand and she pokes them around with her finger. She's, like, old school Mexican. Right. And she can tell she by, like. it up. Like what the mound mm-hmm. is in her hand, and I thought, oh my god, if she di- when she dies, because that's a real thing, goes with them, it's gone. Yeah. Nobody knows how to make this, and we will lose these recipes, and nobody's going to be able to make the yams like my tia. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to make the mole like my grandma, and that became like a little bit of a passion project to record. Well, yeah. What do you do? And then my grandma would do things like she'd put the salt in her hands. I'm like, okay, transfer it to my hand, and I'm going to put it right. in all the different right. Measuring you can weigh it. You can feel we- it. So we get to yeah. that point because, you know, how do you know them? Like, right. You just know. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> well, she just knows, you know, and that's it's interesting that you say that. So I just lost my grandmother last year and she was the biggest cook. I mean, she was always cooking something. And so when I think about that, I mean, she has so many cookbooks and they're everywhere. And so even though I wasn't in the kitchen right up under her, clearly she passed that love of cooking down to me mm-hmm. because, you know, she was just always in the kitchen. That's where I saw her. And so just being able to have that, I think that definitely connects me culturally. But I also think the way that food for me kind of came about and, and had a lot of cultural things to do with that is when I was in school and we talked about just kind of owning like your blackness and never wanting to be something else. And I laugh to this day because my mom talking about leftovers, this is probably also why I don't like leftovers because my mom would make food and then the next day, it was my leftovers for lunch to take to school. And I'm like, Mine mommy, too. yeah, but you can't take like catfish and fried chicken to school the next day in a big ass igloo lunchbox. Because then all the white With kids the white are looking kids? at you like, yo, where your sandwich at? Okay, <laughs> like, I had no the sandwich. opposite experience. I grew up in Paramount. Yeah, okay. So high five from right. Whittier. You understand. We were, we're right. neighbors right up the 91 freeway. Right. I went to a very Latino school mm. where like 98% of everybody was Mexican See? and related to each other. Yep. And I'm only half Mexican. Mm. And my mom married Made white. Made you a sandwich. Oh, no. My mom married white. <laughs> would send me to school my blazer and American flag pin and turtleneck <laughs> like I came out of a Land's End catalog. In fact, when I just moved, I unpacked that little teeny tiny blazer from oh. my cedar chest. I got it. You guys, I will put this on Instagram for <laughs> right. you when this airs so you can hear this, see this reference. Her L.L. Bean moment. Yes. (laughs) And my mom, she's Mexican. Right. She's very Mexican, especially when it's convenient and she's Mm. angry at me. But my mom went to school here. So my mom would send me to school with things like 
quinoa and, oh my Lord. and salmon <laughs> and stir fries and oh. like exotic things, right? right? Like Trader like, Joe's Audrey, before Trader that? Joe's was cool. Right. And I would go to school and people were like, they would have Wonder Bread bologna sandwiches because Paramount is not a, you know, it's a lower yeah. so- socioeconomic city. They would have squeeze-its. Do you remember squeeze-its? Oh, I would have died to have a a squeeze-it. My mom did not allow sugar. So we didn't have soda. We didn't have candy. We didn't have squeeze-its. Oh, and then I had friends that they used to have Top Ramen. Of course. But the Maruchan brand. Mm -hmm. And my friends used to call it the Maruchan. (laughs) And I never had Maruchan. It was not allowed because it had too much sodium. That is a lot of sodium, though. That's like eating heart, like high blood pressure. Yeah, but my mom wouldn't allow that. But again, like I think back now and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had friends that grew up with that were poor, mm-hmm. that didn't have those things. Or, oh, even better. I had friends who had the free or reduced lunch. Right. And I didn't. I always had to pay for lunch. Yeah. If I did eat in the cafeteria, right. my mom hated for me to eat in the cafeteria. Oh. And I remember it used to be like, cool, because everybody else had it. And I was like, why don't you I free have lunch? reduced lunch? <laughs> well, listen, let me tell you, I you didn't know. miss much. Like, you, did, you didn't miss too much. You know, there was like, oh, chicken nuggets, milk. Well, yeah, but like <laughs> when you're little and you want to fit, of you want to be like everybody Whoever, else, right? Mm-hmm. And when they're pointing out how different you are right. very quickly, it's like, oh, your Spanish sure. is not like ours. You're half white. Mm. Nobody can pronounce your name because you got the whitest the name, white name ever. To this day, I still struggle with that. Yeah, do right? you? Oh, people, yeah. Let's let it go today. Audrey, I want you to leave that here today. I'm trying you, to. You are Audrey Bellis. You I own am, that. I am Audrey you, Bellis. Yes. Just, you know, embrace this. Be you, girl. You got to be comfortable being you. And I know that's not easy to do, especially yeah. when you're in an environment where everybody is pointing out that you're not like them. Oh, yeah. You know, it's easy to be like, oh, why me? But, you know, I think you just, you own it. You just, you love it. You know, I've had to tell my daughter the same thing because she'll come home sometimes and say, oh, I just want to wear my hair straight. And I go, meh. Why? You know? Okay, let's talk about right. your girls. So <laughs> okay. you got mixed girls? Uh, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> your husband, I was reading an article um, about you guys getting together, mm-hmm. and he's a white Jewish guy. He is. You know, I went through what we call the Fifty Shades Jew, because um, I was only dating Jewish guys for a really, really long time. Okay. Well, my dad's Jewish. Yes. My dad's an Italian Jew. That's interesting. And so we're all kinds of mixed over right. here. Oh we just girl. got like, we're, we're mixed, right. we're interracial. United Colors of Bennington and over here? Yeah, we're love it. interfaith family. Oh. In fact, my boyfriend now is the first time I've ever dated a Latino. And I think it's so cool that we can speak to each other in Spanish, even though his Spanish <laughs> like, is very yes. different from mine. Well, yeah. So on the husband, mm-hmm. Jewish white guy. Right. Random. I recently hosted a book club mm. in my office, a feminist book club. They come in one Saturday a month. They're super cool girls. And one of the girls there made a comment about she feels like she has to apologize for dating a white guy. Oh, I've been there. And she was telling me about this struggle. And I thought, yeah. gosh, I used to. I used to feel that way in a, well, in a different sense for yeah. not dating Latino mm-hmm. and it hadn't happened. I was like, I don't know. You're just attracted to who you're attracted to. And maybe this is just an Oedipus complex. Like, <laughs> I'm just down for white right. Jewish guys. Yeah. Right. That reminds um, me of my dad. Rousing but, it's you, it reminds me of your dad. But I'd love to know from you what that experience was sure. like. And, you know, you talked about growing up black. Mm-hmm. How has that changed or not changed in how you're raising your daughters and their experiences? Yeah. So I think one Definitely when I met Jordan, you know, I wasn't like seeking this, you know, oh my God, I have to like marry a white dude and I want to be different. Like I love black men. I, I like men. Yo, you fine. I'm probably looking. So, Same. you know what I mean? Like whatever. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I look. But I think when I definitely when I met Jordan, it was like, oh, what? Like, oh my goodness, this is going to be very interesting. But at the same time, just because I liked his personality so much and I liked who he was 
I also didn't really pay too much attention. But I wasn't, you know, like, I didn't ignore the fact that he was Jewish and white. I was very aware. You know what I mean? Everybody was very aware. So many people would be like, you know, so you didn't a white boy? I'm like, yeah. Did you, you have know? a Jewish wedding? Uh, I did. Curious. I had a very Jewish wedding. <laughs> like, totally Jewish. I got married by a rabbi. You know, like, there was a chuppah. There was everything. You know? Oh, so my gosh. Have you seen the parody video of, what was it? That song, Black and Yellow, but it's Black and Jewish? <laughs> I haven't. Really? Oh my gosh! I've never you seen have it. to see Black and Jewish. <laughs> I will guys, look this up. We will link to this YouTube oh, video for you. It is the best <laughs> thing ever. I've never seen that. No. So, I mean, as a person who grew up, and I'm very, as people always like to say, you know, I'm like little Malcolm. So for me, like, you know, to marry Jordan, it was like what? And then I also went to Black college. You know, I went to Howard, and so I think for a lot of my college classmates, they were like, "Yo, let's see you like marrying a white boy. You know, you black." And I think people also have this identity of, like, what type of black women date white men. And yes. so, you know, there was, like, this, you're not the kind of black girl that dates white men. And I think that they look at those women as, like, they're having an identity crisis or they don't really want to be black. You know what I mean? I have a picture of the Black Panthers hanging on my wall at home. And it's, like, framed art. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I own my blackness. I love it. And he knows that. And I think the one thing that I love about him is that that was never an issue for him. Now, did he have to learn some things? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because he had never dated a black woman. So there were just things that he needed to know and he needed to understand. And, you know, with our kids, I've told them, these kids are black. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there's no question about it. You know, there will not be any, no identity crisis he's here. You know, like, black kids, yeah, you have a Jewish dad, but this is what it is. And so, sure, I felt guilty at first. I think you definitely feel this guilt of like, damn, did I betray my people in the sense because I know what black people go through. And then for you to feel like, damn, and you married the white dude, really? You know, some people are just looking at you like, you just let us down. Like, you know, you old Uncle Tom. And I'm like, damn, really? But I also think that then when people meet Jordan, they then come to me and like, dang, I see why you married him. Like, I get yes. it, you know, because they're like, he's, damn it, he's cool. Like, we like him, you know, and he laughs because he's heard so often, like, you know, oh, you're the coolest white boy I ever met. He's like, why do people say that to me? And I'm like, well, don't let it go to your head, first of all. Like, be cool. <laughs> like, secondly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they've just not had these interactions that are familial or they're kind or, you know, just in a way that y'all are just normal. You know, you're just two men talking or you're just two people talking. And so I think that, our relationship is also good because the one thing I always said that I wanted in a marriage was for it to be a blessing to other people. And oh, so, that's beautiful. you know, and, and I, I hope that, that he and I are that to other people. And I think that we are. So that like cuts me in my heart, oh. you guys. That was like, <laughs> I'm going to borrow that. Yes. That is beautiful. Yes, that's what I've always wanted to be. And so I think that we're that. And I hope that, you know, through those differences, people can see, you know, like we don't super focus on them and we're not like, you know, we're black women and Jewish men, but we made it work. We're all human. Like, fuck that shit. No, like I'm black. Yes. He's a white boy. We have not had the same experiences, but we're going to make this shit work. I'm going to teach him. You're going to teach me. And, you know, in the, in turn, let's just do our best to make everybody, you know, happy and help everybody out. So. I love that. So this podcast is very focused on feminism. Yeah. I'm curious for you, mm -hmm. how has your feminism grown or changed now that you've become a mom? Yeah. And also how you keep true to yourself. Because the hot mom, <laughs> hot mommy over here, you have really... One of the things I love about your writing and your pieces is how much you still hold true to yourself. Because yeah. I know many women, we've talked about it here on the podcast women who become mothers and they lose themselves oh, yeah. and then their daughters grow up and they go, 
man, my mom is not the person I thought she was. And now that she's older and I'm older and she's coming into her own, it's like, God, I realize how unhappy you were because you were trying to give me everything. Mm -hmm. And what I really needed was for you to take care of you first. Right. So one, I became a mom when I was 23. And right. And so I was, you know, in a relationship that probably wasn't the best. At the time, though, I made a very conscious decision that even though I was a mother, I still had to be myself because if I wasn't, you know, who was I going to be for this little person? You know, and I think there was an instance in growing up, I think Drew was probably two. And she asked me at that time, she's like, mommy, why are you always angry? And when she asked me that, I thought, okay, that that was like the catalyst for me to change. And I thought, I have to fix this because if this child is only seeing me angry and she's two years old, there's a problem. You know what I mean? And at that moment, I decided I refuse to be angry about a past relationship. I refuse to be angry about, you know, the way that my life, quote unquote, has maybe turned out. You know, I'm going to own this and I'm going to be the dopest mom that you've seen. And I want also for people to know that your circumstance doesn't have to be your story. What you go through doesn't have to become you. And sure, I went through a lot and I was like the only mom in my circle for maybe a good almost 10 years. Drew's nine. So, you know, and now people are starting to have babies and they're around and, and we see that. But I made the decision to still go out with my friends. But I was there for every bedtime. You know, it was like, okay, you have to go to bed at eight o'clock. I'm here to tuck you in. I'm gonna make sure you have dinner. And then I'm going out because if I don't, I'm just gonna be here with you and then I'll be lost and I won't do anything. You know, people have asked me like, how do you go on trips and don't bring your kids? What do you mean? Like, they're safe. They're being well taken care of. But I want my kids to know that I take care of you, but I take care of me, too. And I do that consciously because I want them to know that I do have a life. My children will tell you, and I'm sure when they get older, one of the phrases, you know, you always think of the phrases your parents told you. Oh, I've become my mom. Right, exactly. My kids are okay right now. See, my kids are always going to say, what's the one thing your mom said to you? And they're going to be like, that she doesn't work for us. I don't work for you. I brought you here. I keep you safe. I keep you looking good. I make sure you have everything you need. But I don't work for you. You know what I mean? And the reason I say that is because I want them to know that I'm raising you to go up and be an adult and to function in this world and do something for it. And if I keep you here and I helicopter and I'm, you know, always there doing everything, you won't be able to function. I I raised them to go. And so, you know, I want them to get to a place that they know when you turn 18 and I send you off to college, I'm out. Like, I'm getting on a plane. Like, I'm going here. I'm going there. You know, my kids know now. Like, I travel and I do things without them to film the show. You know, I was recently away from them for two weeks. And that was a long time. And that was hard for me and it was hard for them. But they know I'm coming home. You know what I mean? And they know I do these things for them. And so I think. Well, and what you're providing for them. Right. You know, I'm, I'm here giving to them. And I think that's kind of, if I had to pick a place to be in feminism, it would be that you still have to do for you. You know, yes. and I think I've struggled even with, you know, the word feminist because for a long time, you know, I feel like that was made for white women. When they started having difficulties, then it was like, yo, let's rise up against the machine. That's you wasn't, exactly how I felt. Yeah. About like March. you weren't. That's why I didn't go. <laughs> like, you know, you know keep it real. Like I, I couldn't be there. So I, I don't know. You weren't there, you know, when like domestic women who were working in the domestic community, you know, I mean, Latina women were in the fields. You weren't there when like black women were in the fields working. You weren't worried about these women who were struggling, you know, like dying from childbirth. That wasn't on your radar. You know what I mean? But now that you can't go and and get the help you need and you can't go and you're not welcome where you want to be, now suddenly everybody's a feminist. It's only recently that I've been willing to call myself a feminist. Yeah. 
the other part of that, when it relates to the march, we're national partners with the Women's March mm. now okay. for Worthy Women events. Yeah. And one of my big reasons was that the Women's March was great for rallying people, but they have no what's next plan. That's it. And we are a what's next a what's plan. Next. And we already exist as that. Mm-hmm. And this podcast was a direct result of that first march, the big march on Washington, right. when I said, okay, I'm looking at the media, mm. and now I'm seeing women of color because we're represented mm. and we were participating. Because you're always doing the work. Uh, right right you're always doing the work the work falls on the backs of the women who were in the background yep think about the the suffrage movement you know those women wanted to vote because suddenly like we matter but yet they still had domestic women working at home who they didn't give a fuck about like you know i mean you weren't worried about them getting the vote you still worried about yourself and i feel like here we are and it's 2017 and it's still 1920 because you still only worried about yourself even with the women's march they wanted to call that the Million Women's March at first. And it's like, that's the most disrespectful shit you ever could have said. But you fixed it, so I'm with it. I'm yeah. down with owning your mistake yes. and fixing it. And that's why they reached out to the women that they did, because they're like, okay, we were wrong. yeah, And you should fix it. And so I, I applaud them for doing that. I applaud them for seeing the error of their ways and coming back and saying, okay, now we need to partner with people like Worthy Women because we missed the mark. So let's get it together. Yeah, there's, there needs to be a what's next. Sure. And you know what? And they don't need to be the one to be the what's no. next, right? Mm-mm. Like there's different things that are already in place where don't do the work that you don't know what to do. You can't do it and you don't have the infrastructure for it. That's it. Just like us. You know, we have a media partner. Nylon Espanol is our media partner. Do the things that you do best and partner with people who That's do the things that they do mm-hmm. best so that you can reach a broader right. audience. Teamwork make the dream work. That is exactly you know? right. And that is an... <laughs> excellent closing line <laughs> Leslie it has been a pleasure to have you thank you for having me it was fun can I have you back yeah for like can we have you guest co-host what? for some future ones you because I'm down I'm totally. super excited yay it was fun it, this was fun let our audience know where they can find you you can find me everywhere on the internet at hot mommy that's h-a-u-t-e m-o-m-m-i not hot hot, hot. Right now. (laughs) I love it. And I'm at Audrey Bellis. And this has been Brown Girls Rising. We hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.